Okay, good morning everybody. I'm going to call you to attention, that's okay. There you go. We're simmering, we're simmering. We're getting there. Well, morning everybody. Everyone okay? Are you sure? Good, good. Okay, so um, for those who don't know me, my name is Jamie and I am a Brummie Phil. So I was sat over there, very offended. Any other Brummies in the house? Come on. All, all four of us in Birmingham. Come on, we're getting there. Great. It's great to be here this morning. Um, and it was just such a joy, wasn't it, to witness the four people went through baptism this morning. Just give them one, one more round of applause. It was just so good to see what God's doing in those lives. What I love about baptism, what I love about baptism on Sundays, is you hear different stories and different journeys, don't you? There's not one of the four people we had baptised this morning different kind of um, ways that they came to God, different journeys they've been on, some from kind of quite a young age, some from maybe an older um, stage of life. But actually together this morning, just declaring that Jesus is Lord in their life. And that's the most exciting thing, isn't it? Coming together, seeing what's going on in their life. And that's what I love about baptism, that it's different people, different journeys, different stories. And this morning, we're going to be thinking a little bit about um, this whole thing of what we're calling a prayer of salvation, what it looks like, because we've been going, if those who are maybe visitors and guests this morning, and over the last few weeks we've been going through a, um, a series all about prayer, obviously we had the prayer room over the last, um, uh, last, last week or so, but we've been talking about prayer and what it looks like, and today we're talking about this whole uh, the, the, the idea of a prayer of salvation. Because actually, even for the people that have been baptised, oh, there you go, dutifully come and sit down, well done, all four of you. The four people that have been baptised this morning, all went on their, their own journeys. But there was a moment, whenever that, met, whenever that was, where they said yes to Jesus, the moment where they had to respond to what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus does in their lives. So, and that's something that is known as salvation. Now, it's a funny word, salvation, isn't it? It's not something you hear every day. It's not something that you is kind of um, often spoke about, apart from maybe in church. But we're going to talk about what it means today, and actually just to give a bit of context as to what it means for individuals this morning, and what it can mean for us as a church and for individuals that are here today. Maybe people who are new, or just people who are searching on their journey um, today. So I'm going to pray properly before I get into it, and we'll open the Bible together. Is that okay? Fantastic. Okay, let's pray. Yeah, Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the four people that have been through the waters of baptism this morning. I pray you continue to bless them. Pray, Jesus, that in this moment they just really sense you closer than they have before. Be with them, I pray. But I pray for all of us this morning as we um, talk about this whole and think about what it means to um, respond with praying and salvation. I pray this morning that you're just going to um, be with us and speak through us and speak through me, I pray, in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'd like to open it up to Acts 2. We're going to read it from Acts 2 together this morning. Just a few short, um, short verses, but actually uh, verses that are really, um, gonna, yeah, hopefully just, we're going to journey through them together for the short time we've got together this morning. So Acts 2, I'm going to be starting at verse 37. Through to 41. If you don't have it, you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen for you as well to track along. Um, so Acts 2, verses 37 through to 41 says the following. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all of whom the Lord our God will call. And with many of the words, he words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptised. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, so we'll be tracking through that together a little bit uh, this morning as we go. I wonder for you, I wonder um, what you love. Okay, I wonder what you love. I wonder what you're passionate about. I wonder what are some of the things that, or beliefs or opinions that you hold firm to that are really important to you. For anybody who knows me will know there's a few things that I love, a few things that I care about, things that are big in my life. Hopefully on the screen you'll see these things. Okay, so the first one is my family. Now, my family are, apart from Jesus, the most important thing in my life. My two boys, my wife, I love my family and wax lyrical about them when I get the chance to do so. My family are important to me. The next one underneath that is maybe a close second or close third, is football. Any football fans in the house? Any particularly Birmingham City fans in the house? <laughs> Just me again. Okay, that's fine. Well, I'm happy right now with Wayne Rooney. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Um, but again, another thing that I love is, is football and a bit of a passion in my life. And the final one at uh, the top, that one up the top, is running. Okay, something that I've, I've really got into in the last kind of four or five years. Something that I love, I do often. It's something that brings me life. It's something that I care about. How do people know about these things? How do people know I care about these things? How do people know that I, um, I like these things? Well, actually because my lifestyle, because the choices I make, because the things I do reflect that. Because they're important things in my life and I invest time, I invest energy, I invest things into those things. It's, evident, it's evidenced by the way that I, I, I do what I do. When we care about something, well that may be for you, when we care about something in our lives, it's reflected in the way that we um, are, the way that we do things, that we, that we spend our time. We can say that we care about something and put no time or energy into it and maybe we don't care about it as much as we thought. In our key scripture, why is that? Because actually, when we care about something, it requires a response from us. When we're convicted about something, it requires a response from us. In our scripture that we read previously, Peter has been preaching this powerful message, okay, um, if you track back through it, Jesus just ascended back to heaven. The, 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 the disciples didn't quite know what was going on for a while, but they've gathered together. They've had this moment, and P- Peter is preaching to the multitudes, the masses that are there that day. And their hearts, they were, their hearts were moved by what was going on in that space. They, they, they knew that they needed to respond. The people present need to respond to it. Peter shared this, and they asked this question. They, they say, brothers, what shall we do? There's a moment there where they know they need to respond, they need to do something about it. Brothers, what shall we do? And we see here in, in verse 37 of, our, of Acts 2, when the people present realise that actually they've got that conviction of their sin. Sin is another word that we say for the things that we've done wrong or that they know that they're far away from God. And there's a conviction there for them that they need to do something about that. They knew that actually simply being sorry or simply feeling this kind of guilt wasn't enough. I needed to respond to this message that Peter had given. They needed to, um, needed to let God forgive them and turn and walk in freedom to the freedom that Jesus grants us in our day-to-day life. I mentioned before, but I, I, um, something that I could talk about for a long time, I won't do, be pleased to know, is running. So I've, I really got into it over the last few years. Now, 
I could say that my runner, yeah. I could easily say that my runner. It's really easy to say. I can have the right watch. I can have some nice shoes. I can um, get all the right gear. I can um, get on Strava. Those who know, know what Strava is all about. I can join a running club. I can warm up. I can stretch. I can enter every single race going. But does only those things make me a runner? No, is the answer I'm looking for. No, no, those things make me a runner. Okay. What makes me a runner? What makes me a runner is the fact that I get out the door. Doesn't matter what I'm wearing. I always do wear something. It's always important to know. But like, whatever I'm wearing, it doesn't matter what I'm wearing or what I, if I'm wearing a watch or what trainers I've got on. What makes me a runner is the fact that I get out and run. That's the only thing that makes me a runner. And actually, what it means is that um, when we talk about being saved, okay, people can talk about being saved or being a Christian, whatever that may be. But for some people, what that means is actually they maybe prayed a prayer one time, but it didn't really make a difference in their life. Or maybe they had this overwhelming sense of, like, of God in a moment, whether that be a church thing or whatever that may be, but then their life isn't changed by that. It doesn't affect their life. They just go back and live in their, their, their normal life. Or maybe we tick the Christian box every 10 years on the census, and that makes us a Christian. Again, these things aren't in their essence wrong, but what it means actually to be truly saved is it changes the way we live. Like I said, I could say I'm a runner, but if I don't run, then who am I kidding? And actually, when we are truly saved, it changes the way that we live. We do something different. We, maybe it, it affects our lifestyle, it affects our choices, it affects the way we spend our money, it affects the way that we interact with other people. It should affect and change the way and people that we are. Because remember why? Conviction requires response. When we're convicted about something, it means that we respond. Acts 12 uh, so Acts 4, verse 12, uh, reads, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no, um, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I believe today, and I know many people in here will believe the same, that Jesus died for us. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. He's the saviour of the world. and Salvation is found only through Jesus, only through the name of Jesus. Followers of Jesus can be and maybe even should be open-minded on many different issues. Okay? It's good to have open minds, isn't it, and to think about what they could be. But actually not on how we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus only, through the name of Jesus, for what he did for us on that cross. No other religious teacher or figurehead died for our wrongdoings, just Jesus. No other religious teacher and came to the earth as God's only son, just Jesus. No other religious teacher died and rose again from the dead, just Jesus. And no other religious leader offers us eternal relationship through himself, just Jesus. Our focus needs to be, should be on Jesus, because he's the only way to true and lasting salvation. I'm going to quickly read out. Um, if you don't have your Bible, this won't be on the screen, so it'll be probably easy to track it in your Bible. If you have your Bible, I'd like to turn with me to Psalm 51. I'm going to read this because this is a moment where, um, for those of you who know King David in the Bible, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, and this is a moment where you can really see he is, um, he's been, there's something he needs to respond to. There's that conviction that's come, um, come to him. He's just, for those who don't know the story, he's just... Um, 
committed adultery <laughs> uh, with, a, with a lady, and now he he's basically knows that he needs to do something about it. So I'm going to read out a few verses here, because um, I think this really shows the, the state of where he's up to. So Psalm, Psalm 51, if I didn't say, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew me a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I'm going to leave it there. But that's... David there acknowledging his need, acknowledging his need for forgiveness, acknowledging that he needs to say sorry to God for what he's done, and actually believing that he's received what God has asked him, what God has given him because of that moment where he's repenting. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So the next bit I want to talk about is we're tracking through this Acts 2 story, and um, there's a, there's a moment in verse 38 and 39, so back to our, the few scriptures read at the start. 38 and 39, after the, the people have been convicted, they ask this question, okay? It's always a good question. When something's happened and there's something that was respond, you need a response to, they ask this question. They say, what should we do? So we're asking the question, what should we do about this kind of innermost um, feeling, their feeling of, of, of conviction and needing to do something about it? And then in verses 38 and 39, it says the following. It says, Repent and be baptized. Be baptized. This is that this morning. But repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, what must we do to be saved? What must we do to this, this, have this moment of salvation? Simply these two things. That's the response there. Repent and be baptized. I'm going to break those down really quickly and just go through those two, two things together. So, the first one is that word. Repent. Now, again, it's another Christian word for those who maybe you aren't familiar to church. But repent simply means to turn away from the wrong things we are doing and to ask for forgiveness for the wrong things that we have done. Turn our focus away from ourselves and on to Jesus. It means we ask for God for forgiveness when we fall short, when we mess up, when we do things wrong. And knowing that, not just that we ask for that forgiveness, but knowing that actually Jesus hears us and will forgive us in turn. Romans 8, verses 9 to 10 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confessed and, confessed and are saved. It's really simple. It's really simple. It says it there in the scripture there. Salvation, being saved, is as close as your own mouth, confessing, and your own heart. It's those two things. Asking God to come and forgive you. Asking God to, but it does start with us. It's a moment where we have to step out and ask God and speak to God and ask him to come and, and help us in those moments. But simply believing in our heart, confessing, repenting with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, that is how we are saved. It's easy, isn't it? That's the start of it, of course. For that moment, 
is the, is, is one of the easier moments, I think. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9, it says the following. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's be really clear this morning. Okay? We want to be really clear on this. You cannot earn the gift of salvation. Okay? It's not by works. It's not by what we do. It's not by um, the things that we give out. You cannot earn this free gift of salvation. It's, if somebody um, came to you and gave you a gift, okay, like a, a present of some description, whether it's your birthday, whether it's just a nice moment, um, rarely our response is, thanks for that, how much do I owe you? Is it? I've never done that anyway. You, what do you say when someone gives you a gift? Thank you. Thank you. And that's exactly what we say in these moments. We're not asking God, how much do we owe you? What do I need to do for you now? What's this, uh, like, is there a bit of a bargaining tool we've got? No, no. Thank you. And that's why our response is worship. That's why our response is joy. That's why our response should be praise because we're thankful for the gift that we have. And if you are in here and you do know Jesus, let's never forget that, that gift and that joy of salvation. It's something we get excited about every single day. Life throws its rubbish at us, of course. But can we be thankful and be joyful in every single moment in our life? I'm just going to quickly say this. Uh, there's a little quote that I found, which I think was really helpful. Uh, J.D. Greer, I want to say, he says the following. It is not the prayer that saves, not the prayer of salvation that saves. It's the repentance and faith behind that prayer that lays hold of salvation. My concern is overemphasizing the prayers often, though intentionally, obscure the primary instrument for laying hold of salvation. Repentance and faith. When I'm thinking about that repent bit that we talked about at the very start, what does that mean? It means that the heart, the heart of faith in the person is the important thing, that we lay down our lives before Jesus and believe that he has saved us. It's the most important thing. Okay, next bit then. I'm going to keep tracking. I know we're keeping an eye on our time. But the next bit is the repent bit and the bit that we saw this morning, the be baptised moment. Okay, the be baptised moment. Now, um, today we've witnessed... Those baptisms were just fantastic. And those people, the four people who came up and shared, they all made a confession of faith, didn't they? That's what it's always about with baptism. We confess our faith, we confess what God has done for us, and then we're in this uh, water, which is fantastic. And baptism is special and should be celebrated. It should be a moment we celebrate where friends, family, church come together to celebrate that moment. I love that moment. However, there are instances in the Bible when um, conversion, the repent piece, and the baptism are followed quite quickly after one another. So in Acts 8, uh, I'm not going to read it I, I, just for lack of time, but in Acts 8 verses 26 to 40, we read of the story of Philip, um, the evangelist, and um, an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, and if you don't know what a eunuch is, it's a man who's been castrated. Let's leave it there. Okay, we'll move on quickly. But that is what it is, just in case, as we keep going through. Now Philip met this guy, this eunuch, uh, on the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And this um, unit was reading the book of Isaiah. And um, Philip comes over to him and basically asks the story. um, He says, do you understand what you're reading? And long story short, the eunuch, uh, sorry, Philip tells the eunuch about the good news of Jesus. And the belief is what you read from here, this this person becomes a follower of Jesus there and then. And as they travel further down the road, I'm going to show it on the screen. This is what happened, okay. 36 to 38, Acts 8. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? 
He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, I read this story and really what you, when you're tracking it, what it looks like is this guy has been reading his, uh, Isaiah. He's been told about the good news of Jesus. And then within what I would assume would be hours, he's baptised. And that's really interesting, isn't it? There was no pre-baptism course. There was no alpha. There was no believers course. Not that anything's a wrong thing, please hear me. But he went from the moment of repentance to being baptised. Okay. And I think that's just an amazing moment to think about. Um, it's really important to, to, to zone on that this morning. Well, wh- why? Because actually, I think our response to this is actually that we haven't got to wait until we've got it all right. Have we? We've got it. None of us are ever going to get it all right. None of us are going to get it all right. To be baptised, it simply says repent, believe in Jesus, and be baptised. And if you are this morning, if you haven't been baptised, and actually you know that that's the next natural step. I think you need to come, come and speak to Phil, Isaac, myself, and we'd love to kind of let you know what that looks like. Because I think that is the next step in our journey. Biblically, repent. You've done that. Be baptised. Great. Okay, I'm coming to a land almost finished. Let's do my last little bit before we close. Everyone okay? Good. Good. Smile at the person next to you. Say, you look fantastic. Well done. You all look fantastic this morning. It's great to see you. Okay, right, as I'm finishing, I'm just going to quickly um, talk about um, what should happen after this repent, baptise moment, okay? And after somebody prays this prayer of salvation. So again, Acts 2, um, going back to Acts 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse, uh, verses 41 to 43. So I didn't read that previously, but I'm going to read it quickly together now. So Acts 2, 41 and 43 says, Those who accepted his message, Peter, were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, two things I noticed there. Okay, First thing is really important. 3,000 people, yes, 3,000 people responded to the message of Jesus that day. Not only responded, but were baptised. Okay, and you thought we were going on for a while. I mean, that would have taken all day. 3,000 people responded in that moment. And from what we can see, were baptised in that moment. Secondly, do you notice what happened afterwards to these, these people, these men and women? They were included in the fellowship of believers. Being new somewhere, whatever the context is, is never easy. And you're always looking for other people around you for how to act, how to be, and what to do. Okay, I've got an example of that for my own life. So just over two years ago now, um, I was uh, the best man for, for my friend and, and for his wedding. There's a couple of us who were best men. And now he, very much like me, is, is white British, okay? And he was marrying into his, his wife-to-be, um, it was, it was her family were Nigerian. Any Nigerians in the house? Come on. Loud and proud, almost. But so he, they were marrying into, um, into uh, my friend was marrying into a Nigerian family. And what we did is before the church wedding, is we did this traditional Nigerian wedding, which was fantastic. It was colourful. There was lots of stuff going on. Now, in the ceremony, there's a few things that stand out. Because as what kind of the groom and the groomsmen, we had different things we had to do in this, this ceremony. Okay. So the first thing we did 
is we had to um, dance, not walk, not, not strut, dance into the hall, okay? And I mean, I was throwing some shapes, believe me and you. It was all going off. So you had to dance into the hall, which is fantastic, okay, we did that. Um, didn't quite know what was going on, but we enjoyed it. And then there was a moment where we, where my, the groom, my friend, was presented to um, the, the, the I, I feel like it's right. I, don't, I, I didn't really know what was going on. I just followed what I was meant to do. But the, he, he and us were presented to the bride's family, okay, which is great, fantastic. And then the next bit, which is the bit I wasn't quite expecting, was when this happened. And we were told <laughs> to lie prostrate in front of the, the family. And again... You just do what you're told in those moments. So I was like, okay, I'm going to lie down on the floor. Why not? I'll get on my face. Which is great. It looks like we're trying to do push-ups. We're not. We're just literally on the floor, just lying down. And it, I love the whole experience. I love the, 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 seeing different cultures. I love seeing the, the blend of kind of us white British people coming into Nigerian uh, culture. It was fantastic the way it all works. It was so good. But the thing that stood out for me in the whole thing is the way that they could see that, that there was like, you see there's five of us there and four of us are, are, are yeah, Brits and white. They could see that like, we didn't know what was going on. Okay? But they were really kind to us. They were really gentle with us. They were hospitable to us. They talked us through and walked us through most of it. Apart from the, they just get down on the floor. I was like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> but they, were, they talked to us and, and walked us through the whole experience. They didn't make us feel out of place, even though there were many times where I didn't have a clue what was going on. And they knew who the new and who the inexperienced people were, and they were extra kind to them. When there's new people in church, when there's new people in this space, is our responsibility, I'm talking to the people who are regulars, who are, who are yeah, people regular in the church, to make those people, the more mature amongst us, to show what it means to be the family of God. It's our responsibility to come and, and, sh- and particularly those people who are new, who, are, who have just maybe given their life to Jesus, just done that salvation prayer, whatever it may be, to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus well. And be kind to them. Be extra kind to them in those moments. Because it can be, by my experience um, at the wedding, it's daunting going to new experiences where everyone knows what you're doing. You know, when to sit down, when to stand up, when to sing, when to, when to not. But you're like, I don't quite know what's going on. So being extra kind to those people in those moments is really important. I'm going to close. I'm going to close. Um, I'm going to invite the band up because I think, I'm guessing we're going to do a final song. Are we, Isaac? I'm looking at Isaac. Yeah, cool. Okay. What I'd like to do, and it'd be really remiss of me this morning not to do this, is to give a chance for people who haven't prayed this prayer of salvation before, to do that. And there may be some people in here who feel that's correct, well, that's right for them, maybe, maybe not, and that's okay. I'm absolutely fine with that. But what I'd like to do is to give a moment to, because we've talk, talk, heard this morning about what it means to, to repent, what it means to, to have that conviction, to respond to that conviction. That's the first point, to repent, to be baptised. And then for us as the, the, the rest of the church, we need to be thinking about how we can help other people in their journey. But I'd like to do, very simply, is to pray a quick prayer. And if you want to pray this along, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. All I should do is to pray it where you are, in the quietness of your own heart. And if you did pray that prayer, all I'll ask you to do is to go and speak to somebody, whether it's somebody you came with, I'll be around, Phil, Isaac, any of the other leaders, Emily, whoever, come and speak to one of us, or a friend you've come with, or a family member, 
And we'd love to just kind of just celebrate that moment with you and just to, yeah, to talk to you a little bit more. But if this is you, all I'm going to do is I'm simply going to ask every person in the room just to close their eyes where they are. Nothing mystical about this. It just helps us to zone out from what's going on. And I'm going to say some words, and all I want you to do is repeat these words in the quietness of your own heart, in your own head, however you want to do that, after me. And I'm going to close, and we'll do the final song. Lord Jesus, I know that I have fallen short of you. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you, trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, we're going to sing our final song. How great that was. I wonder if we could rise to our feet.